0: So today we want to uh, continue in our journey through uh, the book of uh, Bresheet, Genesis. Uh, And uh, we are in the middle of the Joseph story there. And uh, still, now we're in chapter 40. We're getting there. You know, I thought it was going to be the end of the year, but it's not. It won't be a whole year, but it won't be the end of the year. Okay. So here Joseph, the saga of Joseph... You know, if you uh, remember, uh that uh he uh was 17 years old, sold into uh, sold to these uh traveling business people from another land, right? Uh and uh and then he ends up in Egypt, right? Uh and he ends up first uh you know, he's at the house of Potiphar. God blesses him, and we talked all about that. Got, it, the text is so clear. God blessed him in Egypt. God blessed Joseph. God blessed everything that he did, you know, you, you know and, uh, and he was the overseer of, um, of, uh, of Potiphar. And does anybody remember what Potiphar's job was? We talked about that a little bit. This is a little, like, little anecdotal thing. Cook. That's what it was. No. No, cook, not the baker, and not the, uh, no, not him either, and not the, uh, the uh, cupbearer, but uh, cook. That's actually what the word means in Hebrew. So, uh, so it's like the kitchen staff, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, who uh, play this very important role in, uh, in, uh, in, in Egypt. Very interesting, okay? Uh, so uh, anyway... Uh, Joseph is uh, doing well, but he's uh, enticed, right? He's, he, uh, Potiphar's wife basically accuses him of uh, sexual impropriety, right? Uh, and, he's, and things had been going so well, and now he is in prison, right? He's in jail. And he's there with uh, the baker and the cupbearer. He wasn't really like a butler, you know what I mean? Like, you know, butler, you know what I mean? Okay. The cupbearer. See, these people play very important roles, right? Because a lot of there's a lot of intrigue in ancient Egypt, right? And if you really wanted to kill the king, what did he do? Poison his food somehow, his food or his drink? And so, isn't it interesting? Uh, Potiphar, he uh, the uh, the chief steward, but Probably the cook is actually what, it, what he was. Uh, or chief over the cooks or something like that. Uh, and uh, and the, you have then uh, the baker and the uh, cupbearer. But the point is here, uh, in chapter 40, that um, uh, he's, Joseph is in this, uh, in this uh, prison. And in the prison, uh, which was probably more like a house arrest, you know, more like a house arrest, he is there with these people. Now, these are not the dregs of society in prison. These are people like real close to the king who are in prison, you know? Uh, and, uh, and so it was that kind of atmosphere. But even there, Joseph is blessed. Uh, and uh, God uh, is at work in his life. Now, so what's the purpose of this uh, chapter? It's kind of an interlude. A little bit, uh, in that uh, he's not yet with uh, Pharaoh, okay, uh, and he is not yet with his brothers again, but he's languishing in this, uh, you know, in this uh, jail situation, this uh, imprisonment, this confinement uh, situation. We learn a lot about Joseph being a man of wisdom, right, the, the interpreter of dreams, And we see also his deportment and his demeanor. It's very, uh, you know, very interesting how he handles himself here. So we learn a lot about him. So let's uh, just read all 23 verses and talk about it. Then it came about after these things the cupbearer and the baker for the king offended their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was furious with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and chief baker. So he put them in confinement in the house of the captain of the bodyguard in the jail, the same place where Joseph was imprisoned. And the captain of the bodyguard put Joseph in charge of them, and he took care of them, and they were in confinement for some time. Now we don't know how long this is, this sometime is, but what we do know that it was too, that uh, that altogether, when he's going to be with, uh, it's two years from the time he's in the prison to the time that he's with Pharaoh. When he's with Pharaoh, he's 30. So that means he's around 28, which means it's been around 11 years since he's been in Egypt. So gives us a little perspective there. Okay? All right. So here he's in charge. So we see that wherever he is, God is at work in his life, clearly blessing him and giving him these responsibilities. Then the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt, who were confined in jail, both had a dream the same night, each man with his own dream and each dream with its own interpretation. So, this one night, the cupbearer and the baker each have a dream and uh, they could not interpret it. In ancient Egypt, having these dreams meant something specific about the future their own personal future, or the future of Egypt. It's quite clear, even with Pharaoh. It wasn't like too much pizza last night, you know? It was something very specific. All right, so we see here, when Joseph came to them in the morning and observed them, behold, they were dejected. One of the things we we see here, and it's just kind of an interesting observation, is so they were in one place and Joseph was in another place. Because he comes in the morning and finds them. So he's not with them all night. It's kind of interesting. So he may have had his own quarters of some sort. Really, just like when he was with Potiphar, having, uh, you know, this uh, very uh, special position. Okay? All right. So they're dejected. They need to know what the dream means. They need to know what it means. Okay. But there was no one to interpret the dreams. There was no one to interpret their dreams, so they were downcast. And he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in, conf- in confinement in his master's house, Why are your faces so sad today? They said to him, We have had a dream, and there is no one to interpret it. Then Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell it to me, please. So this is very interesting. Joseph unabashedly testifies about God here in, uh, you know, in Egypt. Uh, And uh, he doesn't just say, I might be able to help you, but he says interpretations come from God. So here, while he's in this uh, confinement, uh, he uh, testifies about a God. Kind of reminds you of Paul a little bit, you know, there in the beginning of Philippians, when uh, here he's, uh, you know, he's in prison and he sees it as an opportunity. I think the difference, though, is Joseph wasn't thinking about an opportunity to talk about God. It was simply who he was. You know, here I am, and and uh, these people have had dreams, and I can interpret them. We know that, don't we? From the very beginning of the story, when Joseph interprets and understands his own dreams, right, about what his future is. And that's always important, by the way, to keep in mind all the way through the story of Joseph. God has revealed to him some important things about his own future. Okay, so that's, you know, in his head, and that's very important, okay? All right, so he says, tell it to me, please. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph. And said to him, in my dream, behold, there was a vine in front of me, and on the vine were three branches, and as it was budding, its blossoms came out, and its clusters produced ripe grapes. Now Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, so I took the grapes and squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup. No time for fermenting, by the way, right? Kind of interesting. Uh, And squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I put the cup into Pharaoh's hand. So he was like, had this dream about being a the cupbearer, you know, about being reinstated. Then Joseph said to him, This is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Within three more days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office. And you will put Pharaoh's cup into his hand according to your former custom when you were his cupbearer. Okay, so there that's the answer. Uh, All right, very good. Now Joseph adds a little something here, okay? And and there's a very important lesson in what he adds here. He says, only keep me in mind when it goes well with you. And please do me a kindness by mentioning me to Pharaoh and get me out of here, (laughs) right? And get me out of this house. For I was, in fact, kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews. By the way, again, when you read slowly, it's the land of the Hebrews. I thought it was Canaan. Isn't that interesting? He calls it the land of the Hebrews. Ah, good stuff. Okay. Uh, and even here, I have done nothing that they should have put me into this dungeon. Now, that is a, that's a great uh, little statement that Joseph makes he is so human so real he doesn't say and praise the Lord I'm in this prison and it's you know uh, and, and I'm confined here uh, and what a great opportunity that I have uh, to share the good news it's all good no way he's saying get me out of here I don't want to be here It's frustrating, it's confining, I don't like it. Wow, Uh, that's kind of like what he's saying. Don't forget about me. So there's a great lesson to learn in this. We could say, uh, uh, we might say, now if we were there, we might say, no, Joseph, Joseph, it's okay. You know, uh, that uh, you're here for a reason. Uh, And, uh, you know, and uh, God is at work in your life. Well, that's true. (laughs) That wouldn't be a bad thing to say. But I think one of the things that we learn here is that uh, contentment and resignation are not the same thing. That contentment and resignation are not the same thing. Joseph is a godly man. Uh, you know, he knows that God is with him, right? So he doesn't, you know, we would not interpret this as feeling abandoned by God, right? And he knows that God is at work in his life. So even though he doesn't say I'm content here, I would say by reading it in the way he's described, he knows he's content in the sense that I'm, I'm where I am and I'm while I'm here, I'm going to serve the Lord. But he does not resign himself to saying that's it, you know, it's, uh, I'm done, right? No, uh, and I think that is, uh, you know, very, very important. Now, contentment is a very, very important. Now, Paul, who's in prison, talks about this as well, but I would suggest, this is not a message on Philippians, so I'm not going to talk much about Paul in prison or in Acts uh, where he's in prison, where, where we see what's accentuated is, how God is using him in the prison. And, uh, and he talks about contentment. But he also wants to be with the people he's writing to. He also has not resigned himself to say, well, that's it. This is how it is. No, he desired to be. He writes about it. How he desires to, to be with them. So it's not like Paul would rather be in prison than anywhere else, horizontally speaking. No, but the greatest place to be is where God is using you, certainly. And so he writes a lot about contentment. That's what's fascinating about that. He was in, he was in prison, but he wrote a lot about contentment, right? Uh, and it's interesting, in 1 Timothy, he uh, is writing to, uh, he's mentoring, Paul is mentoring Timothy, and he writes about contentment. Uh, In 1 Timothy chapter 6, in verse 6, he says this, But godliness actually is a a means of great gain, when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, and so we cannot take anything out of it. That's where that verse is, by the way. And if we have food and covering, with these shall we be uh, uh, content? Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmless desires which plunge people, men and women, into ruin and destruction. And and so he writes to Timothy about being content, being content where he is. Then, of course, in Philippians, another uh, passage that Paul writes about contentment. And boy, imagine in that day receiving these letters from Paul, who's in prison, and he's writing about contentment. It would have been very powerful, I think, for them. Okay, so in Philippians chapter 4, in verse 11, he says, not that I speak from want. He's talking about how appreciative he is uh, for the gifts that he's received from the people in Philippi. Okay, and he says, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am in. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and of a suffering uh, need. And I think it's very important in 2 Corinthians, in another place, in 2 Corinthians, in chapter... 12, in verse 10, he says, actually verse 9 and 10, he said, "'My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. "'Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weaknesses "'that the power of Messiah may dwell in me. "'Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, "'with distresses, with persecutions and difficulties.' For Messiah's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. I would suggest, when he says in Philippians, I have learned the secret, I think this is the secret. I think the secret's in 2 Corinthians. That the secret is that when I'm weak, the power of Messiah becomes more and more evident. It's not my power, but Messiah's power. And so when I'm weak, then I'm strong. So I've learned the secret of being content no matter what, you know, that if I don't have, or if I do have, the secret is in letting Messiah Yeshua live out my life. You can say another place where the secret is, is in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20. For I am crucified with Messiah, and it is no longer I who live, but Messiah lives in me. And the life that I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, you know, who gave himself up for me. That's the life that he lives. And so the secret is identification in Yeshua. Not working for Yeshua, but identifying in him. That's the secret. See? That's the secret indeed for all of us. That is the secret of contentment. It's not about, I'm going to force myself to be happy with whatever I have. I'm happy! <laughs> right? No, it's identifying in Messiah, and it's like insulation. When I identify in Yeshua, when I identify in the presence of God in my life, that He's, that, you know, um, uh, I'm filled with the Ruach, which means Yeshua dwells within us and lives out our lives. It's like insulation. No matter, no matter what the elements are out there, I can navigate through it. And that's the secret. This identity in uh, Messiah. And that's where contentment is. And that's he, so he's telling, uh, he's telling uh, uh, Timothy uh, about this issue of uh, contentment. Okay? Then uh, uh, what's interesting, on the other hand, in Philippians, in the very same letter, where he says that he's content, very same letter, he says in chapter 3, A little something else. A little something else. In Philippians 3, in verse... Oh, I think it starts around verse 8 or so. Okay, so he says here, uh, verse 7. uh, But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as a loss for the sake of Messiah. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Messiah Yeshua my Lord. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and counted them but rubbish, in order that I may gain Messiah, and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Messiah, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed in his death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection of the dead." Not that I have already attained it, but look what he says, uh, or have become perfect. But I press on. I press on. That means to, with diligence, move forward in haste. It means to to be actively engaged and moving forward. Press on. He also had a strategy. Uh, When you study his life and his travels, he had a strategy. It wasn't just let go and, you know, uh, let go and let God kind of thing. He had a real strategy for what he wanted to accomplish. So he was, you we know, would call him, we'd call him a self-starter in the mission world. <laughs> he was a self-starter. Uh, he uh, had real ambition for his work with the Lord, quite clearly. Quite clearly. Just read the book of Acts and, uh, you know, and you, uh, and, and you see that, Okay. Uh, and, uh, and so he was not resigned to whatever happened to him, but he was able to be content in whatever was happening in his life because there's no better place to be than in the presence of the Lord. Remember a few weeks ago, we sang that song? In your presence, that's where I belong. In your presence, that's where I am strong. In your presence. So wherever I am, I can be content. But I still may have godly ambition... You know, to serve God in varieties of ways in in life. But but I'm not being like a a pietist in this. You know, I have ambition for life. Ambition to make a difference in the world. Ambition to grow and to learn. You know, ambition means something different when you're 18 years old than when you're 30 and when you're 45 and when you're 60 and when you're 80. It has different meanings because you're in different places in life. You know, so it is good to be content. Then we're not complaining, you know, and, and we're able to make a difference right where we are and recognize that there are times and seasons for everything. And by the way, why am I throwing this in here now? At the little conference I was at, it was a great moment when Marty Getz sang, uh, that's that Bob Dylan song that comes from the Bible. You know, there's a season for everything. Turn, turn, turn. Oh, it was unbelievable. But there is a season for everything. And so ambition comes at different in different ways in different places. So important, like Joseph said, get me out of here. I don't want to be here. Yet God was with him right there. So what a great lesson for us, you know, in in uh you know, in that. Uh, because Uh, Obviously, what a great metaphor this chapter can be, right, for being in prison or confined or not liking where I am and wanting to get out, but at the same time, serving God with great wisdom. That is real spirituality. That's where the rubber meets the road, that I can be content right where I am, yet have my eyes focused on moving toward the future, okay? So... Let's keep going. Back here in uh, the story. Here we are in Genesis chapter 40. So he interprets the dream, but he says, remember me. And notice, by the way, he uses the word dungeon. (laughs) I'm not like in confinement. He uses like a very negative word there. Okay, now verse 16. When the chief baker saw that he had interpreted favorably... He said to Joseph, I also saw in my dream, now notice this is different. The baker sees that, hey, you know, uh, it worked out pretty well for the cupbearer. I think I'll ask Joseph what my dream means. Maybe I'll get something good too. When the chief baker saw that he had interpreted favorably, he said to Joseph, I also saw in my dream and behold, there were three baskets of white bread on my head. And in the top basket, there were some all sorts of baked uh, food for Pharaoh. Let me stop there for a second and tell you that, you know, when you go to Israel and you're walking around the old city, if you go, if you get up real, real early in the morning, like just before dawn, you know, and the sun is just coming up, that you see people uh, walking around with bread on their head. Like they have this thing and then they got kind of bread on it. <sighs> Very good. But if you wait till later in the day, just a little tip for the wise no good. It's all dried out. Needs to be at the crack of dawn and it is so good. Okay. See you in 2020. Okay. There you are. All right. All sorts of things for Pharaoh. On, and, and the birds were eating them out of the baskets on my head. Whenever you see birds eating things on people's heads, it is not good. Okay? You saw the movie, and here you are. Okay. Then in verse 18, Then Joseph answered and said, This is the interpretation. The three baskets are three days. Wow, okay. So far, so good. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you... <laughs> And we'll hang you on a tree. Do you get the beautiful poetry here? He's not going to lift his head and bring him back. He's going to cut off his head. No, he's not. Well, he's going to hang him on a tree with his head. Okay. Uh, And the birds will eat the flesh off you. Okay, that was not good. Thus it came about on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer, and the head of the chief baker among his servants. And he restored the chief cupbearer to his office and put the cup back into his hand, but he hanged the chief baker just as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. And so we see here that Joseph is a wise man. We see that Joseph is a godly man. We see that Joseph... Uh, uh, unabashedly testifies of God. He interprets dreams, but he's forgotten. He's forgotten. And so he languishes in this jail. He does not know what's going to happen yet. What he knows is, is that he's stuck. He's stuck. And so when we come to the end of the chapter, it's not good news for Joseph at all. You know, it's, uh, frankly, it's, uh, it's kind of a uh, kind of bad news and so we see here uh, some additional lessons besides uh, contentment uh, and and, uh, uh, that that, that is not resignation. We see here that Joseph is really persecuted. He's a persecuted person. He's in this jail for something that he did not do. It is unfair. It is unjust. It is not right. You know, so it's interesting. He's not exactly in the jail because he was preaching the gospel and then he went and sent to prison. He was framed for a, 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 a you know a, a sexual crime that he did not commit, and he's uh, in this jail. He's serving God. He interprets dreams, and he's stuck. So there's some wonderful things we can gain from his. Uh, from his situation, he's misunderstood, he's ignored, and he's forgotten. Yet, he does not waver. He is a man of wisdom. So there's one lesson that we can learn about is actually this issue of persecution. Okay, You know, uh, it says in another place, in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12, that if we live godly, we will be persecuted. It's not like, yeah, you might be. You will be if we uh, live godly lives, especially, really, in our day and age, for sure. What does living godly mean? Living godly means that we testify of the Messiah. It means that we don't compromise. It means that we don't be obnoxious and things like that, but we don't hide uh, uh, our faith, what we believe, it means that we that culturally we maintain our ethics and our morals. Yet at the same time, we participate in the world in which we live. This is what Joseph did, and this is one way that Joseph and Daniel are very similar. They both were living outside the land. Uh, they both were interacting with uh, uh you know higher up people in the land participating yet at the same time they had their uh, they had their testimony and, 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 interpret, and they both interpreted dreams by the way we'll talk a little bit more about that next time, but they both interpreted dreams and they both end up in jail. isn't that kind of interesting so there's a lot of uh, a lot of similarities so we see here that uh That he is uh, uh, being persecuted. Now, so what about it? Okay. One of the great things that we see about Joseph is this issue of endurance that he's able to live through. He's able to live through it, right? Because we know the end of the story, right? But here in this, uh, as he's languishing in this dungeon, as he calls it now, uh, he did not waver. He trusted that God was with him. And also, evidently, by observation, he did not equate spirituality with no pain or no distress. You know, there are many, many uh, wonderful, well-meaning people that would look at his circumstances and say that he didn't have enough faith. He didn't memorize enough Bible verses. You know, uh, he, uh, he, he did not uh, exercise, um, you know, faith to believe enough. Otherwise, he would not be in this situation. But that is not <laughs> what's going on here at all, right? That persecution, difficulty, comes with the, uh, with the territory. And there are, there is are certainly, um, this issue of enduring difficulty is clear in many passages. You know, in um, Yeshua talks about, it. I won't take the time there, but in Luke chapter 21, read verses 10 to 19. And he talks about enduring, you're going to be persecuted. They're going to throw you in prison. They're going to throw the book at you. But endure, but endure, okay? He doesn't say, hey, it's going to be great, okay? You are on a great adventure. Uh, You know, sign up with me and you'll see the world and it's going to really be great. He says, no, it's actually, you're going, to be, you're going to be persecuted. It's going to be very difficult, but endure to the end, he says, Yeshua says. Endure to the end. Uh, Paul talks about this over and over again uh, in his, uh, you know, about himself. Uh, boy, I wrote all these down, but I'm only going to read one or two. In 1 Corinthians 9.12, he says, If others share the right over you, we do we not more? Nevertheless... We did not use this right, but we endure all things that we may cause no hindrance to the gospel of Messiah. We endure all things. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, a little earlier, he says this, uh, beginning in verse uh, 11 To this present hour, we are both hungry and thirsty, and are poorly clothed, and are roughly treated, and are homeless. And we toil, working with our own hands. When we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure. When we're persecuted, we endure. Okay. Uh, and so, there's a lot there about uh, persecution. But also in First Corinthians chapter ten, is it interesting? In First Corinthians, he mentions endurance a lot of places. In First Corinthians chapter ten, in verse thirteen. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man, mankind. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will provide the way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. It doesn't say get over it. Endure it. That's very important, right? So we're going to be persecuted. We're going to be tempted, but... God is faithful and that in the persecution and in the temptation gives us what we need in our identity in Him to be able to live through it. Not skirt around it, not pretend it's not there, but to live through it, endure it. Okay? Uh, When Paul is talking to uh, Timothy in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, in verse 12, if we endure, we shall reign with him. If we endure, we shall reign with him. Okay? Endurance to the end. In 2 Timothy 4, 5. But be sober in all things. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Isn't that great? He says, endure hardship. That's a great line. It's not endure this particular kind of hardship. Endure hardship. Boy, he's telling it like it is. Who doesn't have hardship, right? Endure it. Endure it. How do you endure it? We endure it in our identity in Messiah. You see, so many of us have been sold a bill of goods. And that is, I'm praying God needs to relieve the situation. That's his job. You know, relieve my situation, make it better. Get me a new job. Get me married. Get me this. Bring me there. I don't like my situation. God's job is to change it. Not necessarily. He may. I mean, providentially and His will, He may, absolutely, you know. But what He promises is that He will be with us all the way through it to the end. And we never have to be a ship that sinks. Ever. Because we are identified in Messiah, and so therefore we can endure it. We can endure it. That's what the scriptures teach. Okay, and of course you know uh, my favorite. I didn't even write this down, but my f- my favorite passage in this, and you know it if I've spoken to you long enough, right? Is in Second Corinthians chapter four when Paul talks about this. Who would want to sign up for this, right? He says we have this treasure in earthen vessels. The treasure meaning like the the message and the, you know, and the reality of Messiah. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the surpassing greatness of the power may be of God and not from ourselves. Again, power is perfected in weakness. It's like a theme over and over and over again. I'm dead, but I live in Messiah. He says it. It's like a broken record, right? But then what does he say? We are afflicted in every single way. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, confused, frustrated. Throw that perplexed, that's a big word, right? You can throw a lot of emotions in there, a lot of feelings in there, okay? Perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, indeed, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed, right? That's endurance. That is the testimony. That means that it's not about me. It's about the work that God is doing in this world, and we get to be a part of it. Now, in the endurance, of course, is hope. We don't just endure like, you know, just buck up, you know, and, uh, and endure, but, but no, there's hope right? Uh, you know, you read First Peter chapter uh, 1 in, in verse 3. We have a living hope. That's why we can endure it. We can endure it because it's a future. Not just endure it to endure it. Because we are assured of a future forever, alive with God. And so that is, you know, we can indeed uh, endure it. And so we see here that uh, 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 from these New Covenant passages, we see the endurance of Joseph. Remember that God had given him a dream early on and that he had this future. He didn't know how it was ever going to unfold. He was going to be over his brothers, over his family. Here he is in Egypt. Here he is in a prison in Egypt. How is this ever going to happen? Who knows, right? He's thinking... And he's left alone and he's forgotten, but he still, you know, he hangs on to God, right? But he's able to indeed endure. And what happens in that endurance? We see that his character is proved. His character. He's a mensch. His character is proved through that endurance. What a testimony if you are enduring hardship, confinement. You feel like you're in prison. You maintain that testimony because God is deeply at work in your life. And people can indeed see it. And there is indeed hope. And remember that the plan of God is not simply, it was not about making my life everything I want it to be. It's making this world everything that God wants us to be. God has a great plan for this world and we get to be a part of it. And so important that that's what we see in Joseph right here. Okay, so let me just close with one of my other really favorite passages about this issue of timing. Timing and delay. In our, in our class on Habakkuk, we learned a lot about delay. There's, when you look carefully in the Brit Chalashan, the New Covenant Scriptures, there are lots of passages about having to wait. Actually, throughout the entire Bible, lots of passages about having to wait. Okay, and so in uh, in um, in Habakkuk chapter two, it's a great passage about waiting, and it goes like this: What does God tell Habakkuk? The vision is yet for the appointed time; it hastens toward the goal. It hastens toward the goal, and it will not fail. Actually, you know, in other words, it will not lie is actually literally what it says. It will not lie, is really what it says. Okay, Though it tarries, wait for it. So isn't that great? It hastens toward the goal, but though it seems like it's taken a million years, wait for it, for it will certainly come. It will not delay. It may not be on our timetable, but it is definitely on God's timetable. And so, when we think here about uh, Joseph, we see that he was persecuted. We see that he could be content. He was not resigned, though, to it. He believed in a future for himself. And I hope that every single one of us believe in a future for ourselves and our lives and our community and our, and our world. We're the people of hope. We're the people who have the answer you know, just like Joseph. Just like Joseph. And so he had vision, he had purpose, and he knew that he indeed had a future. And so do we, and there is so much that we could gain from it. And uh, one last thing I'll just say, and then we'll pray, is that if you're, you know, if you're in this, uh, this, just this, just in a bad place, you know, you might say, okay, I'll pray more. I, I would say this. This is just a think about passages in the Bible that describe your identity in Yeshua. I read some of them. There are plenty more. Your identity in Yeshua. That's the secret. That's the secret. Okay? You heard it here. All right? That's the secret. Okay. Now, secondly, what I'll say is this is where the Psalms come in real handy. All right? There are prayers in the Psalms, right? People crying out to God. Pray those words. Psalm 42. In my big Bible here, I wrote over Psalm 42 depression. (laughs) I wrote it in ink, all right? Uh, that's That's the way, you know, he's crying out to God. You know, his couch is all wet from his tears. But what does he say at the beginning? He says, I hunger and thirst for more of you. I need more of you. That's the prayer. I need more of you, Lord. He doesn't pray, Lord, get me out of this mess. He prays, Lord, I need more of you to be able to just stay above the water. So that's a great one. There are many in the Psalms that are personal prayers. Pray those prayers. And you will see that it has a transforming effect. It brings calm comfort, patience, and that what Peter calls that joy unspeakable, inexpressible. Like, you know, you can't even describe it in the midst of, it's like that insulation, you know what I mean? That joy is there regardless of those circumstances. And so, we can learn a lot from Joseph, I think, uh, uh, today. So let's pray. Lord uh, God, uh, we thank you, Lord, for Uh, The opportunity, Lord, to see a godly man in a foreign nation languishing in prison who knows that he has a future but has no idea how it's going to happen. Lord, we're all kind of like that in one kind of way or another, and some of us more so. So, Lord, I do pray, Lord, that we would know that our identity is in you. That is such a great part of the good news in the resurrection of Messiah, in his death and resurrection, that we are identified in him. Lord, thank you, God, that if we have died with him, yes, we shall be raised with him. We are united with him uh, in his resurrection. Lord, and so may we indeed remember that, knowing that, let us live that way. And Lord, I do pray that you would meet the needs and desires, Lord, uh, of so many here. But Lord, I do pray also that we could be content and not be resigned. Lord, always looking forward, having a vision, purpose, and meaning. Looking forward to that day in the future, we pray in Messiah's name. Amen.